Happy Father's Day, everyone. On a day like this, we take time to acknowledge all that fathers have done for us and express our appreciation to them. But if you think about it, it's more than just talking about the fathers. It's really talking about the whole family and relationships. And sometimes relationships get complicated. Well, today in our continuing series of messages on parables that Jesus told, life stories about our life, we're going to look at one entitled, The Loving Father. Jesus continued, There was a man who had two sons. The younger one said to his father, Father, give me my share of the estate. So he divided his property between them. Not long after that, the younger son got together all he had, set off for a distant country, and there squandered his wealth in wild living. After he had spent everything, there was a severe famine in that whole country, and he began to be in need. So he went and hired himself out to a citizen of that country who sent him to his fields to feed pigs. He longed to fill his stomach with the pods that the pigs were eating, but no one gave him anything. When he came to his senses, he said, How many of my father's Hired servants have food to spare, and here I am starving to death. I will set out and go back to my father and say to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. So he got up and went to his father. But while he was still a long way off, his father saw him and was filled with compassion for him. He ran to his son and threw his arms around him and kissed him. The son said to him, Father, I have sinned against heaven and against you. I am no longer worthy to be called your son. But the father said to his servants, Quick, bring the best robe and put it on him. Put a ring on his finger and sandals on his feet. Bring the fattened calf and kill it. Let's have a feast and celebrate. For this son of mine was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. So they began to celebrate. Meanwhile, the older son was in the field. When he came near the house, he heard music and dancing. So he called one of the servants and asked him what was going on. Your brother has come, he replied, and your father has killed the fattened calf because he has him back safe and sound. The older brother became angry and refused to go in. So his father went out and pleaded with him. But he answered his father, Look, all these years I've been slaving for you and never disobeyed your orders. Yet you never gave me even a young goat so I could celebrate with my friends. But when this son of yours, who has squandered your property with prostitutes, comes home, you kill the fattened calf for him. My son, the father said, you are always with me, and everything I have is yours. But we had to celebrate and be glad, because this brother of yours was dead and is alive again. He was lost and is found. 
We probably know that story with the title, The Prodigal Son. But I think that's a misnomer because the focus is really on the father and what he did, not just to the one son, but to two sons. We often think of the prodigal son as that one who took that inheritance and went off and squandered it away in wild, sinful living. But Jesus has an equally important message for us about the older son as well. So today, let's start off by looking at the two lost sons. Because what Jesus is really doing is telling us that there are two kinds of people. Now, the reason Jesus told this story was because of what was going on right at that time. Luke tells us about that. He said, tax collectors and sinners were all gathering around to hear Jesus. But the Pharisees and the teachers of the law were muttering against Jesus. This man welcomes sinners and eats with them. And there you can see there were two kinds of people who were listening to Jesus. There was that group we might call the sinners, the sinful ones, the tax collectors and the sinners. These were the people who were living immoral lives, who were cheating on others, who were living in sexual immorality, who wanted nothing to do with the laws of the church or the rules of the church, the laws of God. They just wanted to live their own way. Now, as they were coming to listen to Jesus, and Jesus teaches them, that upset the other group of people, those we might call the self-righteous, the Pharisees and the teachers of the law, who were so concerned about those who were living the immoral lives and who themselves were so dedicated to following the laws of God, always worshiping, always praying, and they come and they start complaining about Jesus. Who is this guy? What is he doing accepting these people? How could he be a prophet of God? Well, let's take a look at these two people, these two groups of people. Jesus was pointing out to us that they really weren't just there in that audience. We want to answer the question, where are these people today? So let's take a closer look at them. First of all, that group called the sinners. Jesus, in his story, used the account of this younger son to illustrate that. Do you remember what he said? He said this, this guy had two sons, and, and the younger one comes up to him and asks for his share of the estate, right then and there. And that's kind of an insult, right? Because usually you don't get the inheritance until after the father has passed. But this kid wanted it right away. That's what he felt he was entitled to. He basically was saying, give me what is mine, what I deserve. Today we might call it a, you know, he had a sense of entitlement. This is what I deserve. You give it to me right now. So the father did give it to him. And what did he do? He went off and he squandered it in sinful, wild living, we are told. Basically what he's saying is, I can decide how I want to live. I'll decide what is right and wrong for me, and nobody else is going to tell me what is right and wrong. 
Do you hear that today? Sure. People don't want to be told how they're supposed to live. They want to be told what's right and wrong. This is up to me. This is my choice, my decision. And basically what he was saying is, I'm going to live the way that I want to live. Didn't care about any other rules or anything from God. But you know, it was kind of interesting what happened in that story. Jesus said, the guy blew all the money. And then he'd go hire himself out, and there was a famine. And this guy couldn't even eat as good as the pigs that he was feeding were eating. But he remembered this, how good he had it in his father's house. And he said, I need to go back and admit I was wrong. So he goes back, and, and you know, we hear the father welcomes him. We'll talk about that a little later. But the older brother gets really ticked off. How could this guy be welcomed back? Look at what he did. He wasted away that estate, and now he's welcomed back as if nothing was wrong? Jesus used that story of the older brother to illustrate what was really going on in the hearts of those Pharisees and teachers of the law, and maybe some other people. These we might call the self-righteous people, who live basically with a set of rules of moral conformity. They want this to be done and that to be done, and nobody should wander from it, and that applies to all other people. The problem with their thinking is, as they start living that way, they begin to think that anything they have in life, any blessings from God, even their salvation, is something they've earned through strict obedience and religiosity. And they hold that same standard up then for others. So in a sense, they kind of make themselves their way of salvation, proving themselves to God. What really lies behind it is more of them trying to preserve their, let's say, their sense of community over against the needs of the individual person. Two groups of people, the sinful and the self-righteous. We can see that around us today, can't we? Those who are saying, hey, I, I'm going to live the way I want to live, and don't tell me how to live. Don't apply your rules or your faith to me. And then there's that other group that stands up and looks down on those and says, look how bad they are. Look how good we are. What is happening is each group is blaming the others for what's going on and what's wrong. Those who are the sinful or the immoral say, you leave me alone, you stop being prejudicial or you stop being judgmental and let us do our own thing. And the other group is saying, you're the ones who are ruining the world because of your sinful life. It's easy for us, isn't it, to kind of hear or see that going on out there and think, yeah, that's what's wrong. You know, mirrors don't lie. <laughs> you maybe go up to the mirror and you're going to think, yeah, I'm going to look pretty good today. And you look, 
And maybe you're kind of dreaming about how really good you look. The thing is, mirrors don't lie. Mirrors show us exactly how we look. And that's what God's law is, his word. It's like a mirror. It lets us see what we're really like. This younger brother and his wild living, and the older brother and his self-righteous, judgmental way, you know what? They're not just living out there, folks. They're living in here, inside of us. Haven't there been times when we've said, you know, it's okay what I'm doing. I really don't care what others think. Don't tell me it's wrong. I'm going to live the way I want to live. I'm going to say what I want to say. I'm going to do what I want to do. And then there's sometimes when we stand up in judgment on others and say, that's not the way it's supposed to be done. Look at me. This is how it's to be done. And what Jesus is telling us here is that both lifestyles are rebelling against God. Whether you don't do what he says you should do, or whether you stand in judgment on others and hold yourself up and think you've got it all together, what you're doing is rebelling against God and basically saying, I've got this moral guide, whether it's my own or Jesus, and if I just do that, I'm okay. But what you don't have is a Savior. A few years ago, one of the big newspapers in, in the country had published an editorial, and it was entitled, What's Wrong with the World? And you ever find yourself asking that question? What's wrong? What is going on in our world? What's going on in our country? What's going on in our communities? What is wrong with people? Well, in answer to that question, a Christian writer by the name of G.F. Chesterton wrote to the editors this little reply. Dear sirs, I am. I am what's wrong with the world. When we acknowledge that, we take the step to understanding we need a cure. And that cure is in the love of the Father. At this point, I want to invite our young children in church here to go out into the back and to meet with their teacher and be taken to learn about the, the love of our, our Heavenly Father. And then we'll listen to the song from the worship band, Good, good father. Jesus loves me, yes. Jesus loves me. Father Bible tells me so.
Today, people are going to be talking about uh, how good their fathers are, you know, all the things that they've done, and, you know, uh, I remember an old commercial on TV about, 
uh, it was probably like for MasterCard or something, you know, buying all these things and going out and doing something good with your kid, like taking them to the Warriors uh, playoff game. Yeah, that ain't going to happen. <laughs> but there's so much more that God is. Listen to how the Apostle John expresses it. Gary? See what great love the Father has lavished on us, that we should be called children of God. And that is what we are. The reason the world does not know us is that it did not know Him. Dear friends, now we are children of God, and we will be, has not yet been made known. But we know that when Christ appears, we shall be like Him. For we shall see him as he is. All who have this hope in him purify themselves just as he is pure. You know, you, you can measure fatherhood on the basis of, you know, what you get your kids or, or what you do with your kids. But look, look how John tells us to measure the love of the father that he's just lavished on us that we will be like Christ, that now we are his children. Let's go back to Jesus' story and, and, and take a look at, at the loving Father. Because I really think that this is what Jesus was trying to get across to us. It's easy for us to look at those two sons and to see ourselves, but when we do, we have to go, oh, man, am I messed up? But look at what the fix is is the loving father. The first thing I noticed about the father in this story is how he wants his son back. He, he could, have, could have just said, you know what, that, that son is just a failure, want nothing to do with him. But the son recognized that wasn't the case. Right? The son is sitting there in the mud with, with the pigs and says, look how good the servants have it. Look how good I used to have it with my father. I'm going to go back. It was the goodness of the father that drew that son back to him. The Apostle Paul says it's the same for us. He says, do you show contempt for the riches of his kindness, forbearance, and patience? not realizing that God's kindness is intended to lead you to repentance. God is kind to everybody, the just and the unjust alike, because he desires for all of them to come back to him. Jesus did not speak of there as being, you know, here's the good son and here's the bad son. He said, here is the sinful one, and here is the self-righteous one. And they both needed to come back to their father. And they can. Paul also reminds us that God was reconciling the whole world to himself in Christ, not counting people's sins against them. It's the father's desire to want us that moved him to establish that relationship with us again. And now he tells us 
that he's committed to us that message of reconciliation. We know what it is. Now we are to tell. The other thing we see here in, in the father is how he is waiting for that son. Notice Jesus didn't say that the, the father is just sitting there on the porch, tapping his foot, his arms crossed. Just wait till that kid gets back here. Boy, am I going to tell him something. And he better just sit right down here and grovel and grovel. And when I think he is sorry enough, then maybe I'll bring him back in. No. It says the father is watching for him, waiting for the time when he'll come back. Scriptures tell us that God is, is not slow to carry out his promises, but he's patient, not wanting anyone to perish, but all to come back to repent. See, God's waiting for us, and he's calling to us through his word. His word reminds us of his love. His word calls us back for repentance. So don't turn off his word. Don't turn a deaf ear to it. Don't follow the ways of the world with immoral living or judgmental living. Just come back to the Father to be forgiven. Now, sometimes God works in different ways to get our attention, too. You know, for this son in Jesus' story, he had, he had lost all his income, and then a famine hits, and he's got to go live with the pigs who are eating better than he is. And then the kid finally realizes, I need to go back to the father. Sometimes things happen in our life, too. Troubles, hardships, and it's God's way of saying, come back to me. I'll bless you. And when we do, just look at how the Father welcomes. The first thing we're told that the Father did is he runs out to his son. Now, first of all, the guy is an older guy, but he runs. And you know, they wear those robes in those days. It couldn't have been easy to run, so he probably had to pick it up and expose his bare, bony legs. It was probably a little embarrassing, but he didn't care because he wanted to go meet his son. And then he hugs him and tells his servants, get the best robe and put it on him. Now, the best robe in the house, I have a feeling, was probably dad's robe. It was a robe of honor. And this dad says, put it on him because that's my son. And then he says, roast that fatted calf. Now, they didn't have meat every day in their meals like we do, so that was a special thing. Roast that fatted calf, because they're going to have a feast. And there was music and dancing, because as the father said, that son of mine who was dead, he's alive again. He was lost, but he's found There's one more thing in that story about the father's welcoming love. Remember now that the older son is ticked off. Why this big party for that scoundrel and nothing for me? 
he wouldn't go into the party. What did the father do? He went out to him and said, stop your judgmental ways and come in and rejoice. Your brother is found. You see, God's love and forgiveness pardons every kind of sin or wrongdoing. It doesn't matter what it is. Is it lying? Is it dishonesty? Is it cheating? Is it impatience? Is it hurting somebody? Is it immoral living? Is it abusive living? Is it substances? Whatever. God forgives it all. Yesterday in doing prison ministry, I met a young man, he's about 24, in prison for a lot of robbery, brought on because of his addiction to substances. And he was raised in a Christian home, and he told me, Pastor, he says, my spiritual life has always been high and low, like hills, he said. But this time, it got too low. And I'm coming back to God. And God is there to restore every sinner. You know, there's something missing from Jesus' story, in a sense. That older brother should have taken on the responsibility of going to look for his brother and bringing him back. But he didn't. He wouldn't leave the home. There's a true elder brother in this story. It's the one who's telling the story. Jesus, our brother. Jesus left his home in heaven to come to this country to seek and to save the lost. Jesus let himself be stripped of his clothes so that we could have that royal robe of righteousness. Jesus suffered the cup of the Father's wrath for our sins so that we can drink the cup of blessing and joy. Jesus was abandoned as a sinner by his Father so that we would be welcomed. Jesus came to seek and to save us and to clothe us with that robe and now to say, you've been found. So come to the feast. Come to the feast. Hear the singing and the dancing of his word of grace. Come to the feast that's been prepared to assure you of your forgiveness with the very thing that bought it. Come to the feast and enjoy the company of your family of believers. You were lost, but the loving Father has found you. Now that makes this a happy Father's Day. Amen.